So good to see you. So good to worship with you. And it's great to worship God together. And uh, we've done that thus far, singing these praises. We have come together to pray together. And now we're going to discuss his word together as well. And I want to preface my, my thoughts this morning by saying this. I am by no means a political guy. In fact, if you want to put me to sleep, start talking politics. But I don't have to keep up with politics in order to make a few observations on unhappy people are with what's going on in our state, with what's going on in our nation, what's going on with the president. People, you can just see it, and the way people talk and what's on social media, people are just unhappy. They're on edge about, about how the president is governing, the, governing this nation. People are on edge about whether we're going to go to war or not. People are unhappy with morality that's going on around us. And it might cause us to think that things just aren't going well around us. And it just, it just isn't our, our communities or our nation as a whole, but some of us as Christians, we might be worried in, in one way or another. And from all these observations that have been happening, it got me to thinking about why that is. Is it because we don't agree with kind of the way things are going? Is it because we expose ourselves to too much media? We might watch the news too much or listen to news radio or read too many articles or see too many opinions on social media. And if so, if we expose ourselves to so much, have we begun to lose focus? on who really is in control. A long time ago, there was a prophet who worried about what was going on in his nation. In fact, he was so worried about it, you know what he did? He complained to God about it and blamed God about what was going on. And he said, how, how long... Are you going to allow these things to happen in this nation? His name was Habakkuk. And I want, it, I want us to listen as we take a look at this book of, of Habakkuk this morning. The book of Habakkuk is towards the end of the Old Testament. It's actually one of the uh, 12 minor prophets, as, or we classify the minor prophets and there is a distinction between the major prophet books and the minor prophet books. And let me give you the simple explanation of what that distinction is. All it is is just the length of the book. That's all it is. The minor prophets don't have anything less importance in them as opposed to the minor prophets. They're just simply smaller in length. So the book of Habakkuk begins by saying this. And if you can't read this, open up your book. We're going to look at this entire book this morning. Only three chapters long. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you violence and you will not save. 
Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. And so he's got this complaint to God about what's going on. And I don't know if you've ever complained about what's going on around, around us. Or, but there are some valuable teachings throughout this book from Habakkuk that makes us kind of step back and really think about who really is in control and how we should adjust our thinking and our attitude about the, this world and about this nation, about the state and, and the community that we live in. Now, what I like to do with any, any type of expository type of teaching that I do, I always like to look step back and look at the setting to which why it is that these words are written, why it is that this prophet has these words or is bringing up this complaint. It's always great to look at the background in order to understand the message of the book. And that's what I want to do just for uh, a few moments this morning. In 2 Chronicles chapter 36, we have a situation uh, uh, within Judah. And within Judah, this is going on. It says here, beginning at verse number 11, Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king. And he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. Now, here is the problem in verse number 12. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God. And what else? Well, he did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. What else? Well, he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God. But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests... And the people, what do they do? It says they transgress more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. Then in verse 15, and the Lord God of our fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. So that's what God wanted for his people. He had compassion, wanted them to change. But then in verse 16, what did they do? How did they react? They mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against the people till there was no remedy. Now those are some pretty bad times. Very bad times. Even the spiritual leaders were corrupt. It's pretty bad. So things look pretty bleak. And you can kind of understand why Habakkuk was kind of in a worry. And why he would want to complain to God about what is going on here. Are we ever going to turn back to you? Now, they had shut God out of their lives. They, all they, they rejected all these warnings by the prophets who were sent by God. They only wanted to do what they wanted to do. And they got to the point that God had had enough. The wrath of God arose against his people. 
He had had enough. And so listen now. We're going to jump now to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 11. And it's right in the middle of the Lord's rebuke upon his people. In fact, it says here in verse number 11 of Jeremiah chapter 6, Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife, the age with him who is full of days. And so the Lord is very angry, weary of holding his wrath back on them. But he, he goes on now. I'm going to skip down here, staying in Jeremiah 16 or 6, but skipping on down to verse number 13. And he, here's the reason why he's so angry at them. He says, because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. He goes on now after saying this and about what they've done. And this is kind of a reoccurring theme whenever God sends a messenger out to his people. He tells them the wrong that they've done. He tells them the punishment. But he always calls them to repentance. Always. And that kind of gives you a greater understanding of the character of God. He will not tolerate sin. But he always wants people to change. And that's what he does here in verse number 16. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Also, I set a watchman over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. For what purpose to me comes frankincense and Sheba, from Sheba, and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices uh, sweet to me. And so, from all this, even though God called them to repentance, they still rejected his word. They still laid their lives of pleasure and their cares without God. And understanding the, the, the state and the nation that Habakkuk abides in, it causes him to worry about this nation and questioning God, why, all this, why is all this happening? And so he's asking God, why are you so indifferent? As we read in the first few verses, why are you so indifferent about what's going on? Don't you care about your people? Why aren't you doing anything about it? How long, he asked, is this going to last? Well, he questioned God. And guess what? God answered back. 
I don't know if Habakkuk expected for this to happen, but God answered back. In fact, if we continue now in verse number five, this is God speaking to Habakkuk. He says, look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded. For I will, work a, I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. So basically, God's saying, I'm not indifferent about what's going on. I, I know what's going on in the nation of Judah. He knew of all the wickedness from the leaders and the people. But he tells Habakkuk here, I've got a plan for it. And it was a plan that Habakkuk would not even believe. And so what was God's plan for Judah? Well, let me tell you something. Habakkuk was not ready to hear the plan from God. And so what he was going to do, it's not a very comforting plan, but he goes on to tell Habakkuk he's raising up the Chaldeans. He's raising up the Babylonians. Now, that's the enemy. He's raising them up. And he's got plans for them. He says, now the enemy, these Chaldeans, they're going to be a force that are going to be reckoned with. In fact, the Lord goes on to describe the nature of the Chaldeans, and I'm not going to read verses 6 through 11, but you could, I've got the highlights of how the, the character and how great of a force these Chaldeans are going to be against the nation of Judah. He says they're going to be a bitter and they're, they're going to be fierce. They're going to be hasty and reckless. They're going to be terrible and dreaded to them. They're going to be feared. They're going to come with horses faster than leopards. They're going to be keener than wolves going out in the evening that seek their prey. They're going to come with the strength of an eagle. They're going to gather the captives like one just scooping his hand up in the sand. It's going to be that easy and there's going to be that many captives that they're going to come take. They're going to also be arrogant in their power. And the Lord expounds upon this by generalizing their arrogance. And said, in fact, he said that in the past, they become so arrogant in their ways that they have laughed at kings and princes who have even tried to stand in their way. And that's how fierce of a nation these Chaldeans were. But through all their strength, God said they claimed to... They claimed it all to themselves and even to their own false gods. Well, later on, we're going to see where they got their strength and who allowed them to be such a victorious and ruling empire at that particular time. And so Habakkuk hears these words from God, and he hears what God is going to do about the wickedness of Judah. He's going to have enemies come down, and he's going to have them take the people of God captive. And take him away. And through the process of it, Habakkuk is worried that people are going to die. We're talking about God's people. They just might die. There might be bloodshed when all this happens. And from this, if Habakkuk wasn't worried already, he's worried even more about how God is going to deal with the wickedness here in Judah. And it prompts him to really complain again and ask God another question. Because it says here, as we continue on, Habakkuk 1, verse 12, he says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? And he, when he asks this, he uses this rhetorical question. It's clear that Habakkuk and God did not think along the same lines of how to deal with the wickedness in Judah. 
They had two different ideas. And that's why he asked this. In fact, he goes on to say this. We shall not die. He's thinking, we're your people. There's no way that you're going to allow us to die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. Oh, rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of pure eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? He's asking God, why are you going to allow these Chaldeans to come down and do these things to your own people? I just don't understand it. And then he continues on and says, Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a the hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnets and because by them their share is sumptuous and their food is plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? And so from this, in Habakkuk's minds, in mind, <coughs> the Chaldeans, they're going to come down to Judah. It's going to be a, like a fisherman drops his net into the sea and then just takes everything up into that net. Judah's going to have no hope in escaping the dreaded Chaldeans. And to go on even further, he says, if they're victorious against God's own people, then who is going to stop them? And who is going to be powerful enough to be able to stop these, Chalde uh, these Chaldeans? They're just going to be victorious over other nations. And these slings are going to even continue. And he says, is there ever going to be an end to the great power and the wickedness of the Chaldeans if you let your own people suffer to them? Where is it going to stop? So we see he's troubled with his plan. And after asking this second question, I imagine, well, God answered the first time. Now he's eager to hear about what's God, what, how is he going to answer now? Well, he answers. Chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. And then he answers in verse 2. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud. My soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And so it's interesting to me, and I just love just how descriptive the scriptures are, especially God talking to Habakkuk here. I want you to write these things down on tablet and make it so plain that anyone running by, just glancing at it, would be able to understand it. That's how plain I want you to write these things. So God answers with a very specific principle in verse 4. 
And the principle really is a warning against pride and arrogance. He said, if they're puffed up, they're going to be punished. And so this is really a condemnation upon the Chaldeans due to their arrogance concerning their power and their rule. But it's really not limited to the Chaldeans because God, as we know, throughout time, and even with warnings even today, those who are proud, they will be humbled. The pride shall fall. In fact, there's a reoccurring theme throughout the Minor Prophets. And that reoccurring theme is pride. And how one needs to be humbled before his God. That is a reoccurring theme. But he gives a second part to his answer, and he says this, and you will notice, you, you will recognize this phrase. He says that the just shall live by his faith. And this is really a contrast between the arrogant soul who sets his will against God's will, and then you've got the one who willingly submits to God by way of his faith in God. And that's humility. And this verse is quoted by Paul in his letter to the Romans and bases really the entire letter upon this one phrase. Romans 1.17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And Paul is using this quote from here in Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. It's an important phrase, and it's an important principle that we as God's people have to obey and have to understand and abide by. In fact, it's also stated in Galatians chapter 11. Now, within the two contexts, Paul argues no one can be justified by the law. And that's the law of Moses that they were trying to hold to. But he said a person could be justified by his faith in the Lord. That's why he quotes Habakkuk here. And so people aren't going to be saved by their own desires. People aren't going to be saved by their own will. They're not going to be saved by their own power. Now the Chaldeans thought so. But the principle is it's not going to happen. And so people, as God calls them, he wants them to be saved through humility and by submitting to his will and living by faith that if we do the will of God, guess what? He's going to reward us in due time. He will. In fact, this goes along with what the book of Hebrews says here in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith. But... If anyone draws back, he says, my soul has no pleasure in him. But then he goes on to say in verse 39, but we are not of those who draw back to partition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. That's what living by faith does. It saves our souls. It saves our souls. And we praise God because of that. That is a grand promise that he gives us. And he will save us if we live by faith. And so there were people in Judah, as we go back here to the context of Habakkuk. The reason why God said all this to Habakkuk was because he said there were people in Judah that were actually walking by faith. Not every single person was wicked in Judah. 
And because of that, these people who are walking by faith would be spared when the Chaldeans would come down to take Judah. But there would only be a few of them when you look at the background of what happens when the Chaldeans do finally come down. But God still works the same today as he did back then concerning his people. If we live by faith, he's going to save us. And so from that and from the, from the entire context and understanding about where Habakkuk is coming from here, and even with us today living in this nation, no matter what might be happening in this nation that we live in, God still recognizes those of us who are walking by faith. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to save us, no matter how wicked of a place we live in. He's going to save those who live by faith. Don't lose sight of that. And don't let your cloud, or don't let your mind become clouded and distracted by these other things. The just shall live by faith and they're going to be saved. Remember that. I want you to notice something as we now go to chapter 3. Habakkuk, he's been so caught up with what's going on around him in that nation. He's so worried about these things that he's, he's questioned God. He's questioned God's control. And he's really questioned God's power. But now after listening to God's reply to his questions, something amazing happens. And I, I love chapter 3 because Habakkuk has a change of mind. And his attitude changes as well. It causes him now to write a prayer and a song in praise to the Lord because now Habakkuk sees the whole picture. And he finally saw God was truly in control and God knew what he was doing all along. In fact, you look here in chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shignanoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. He understands that God's going to have to show his wrath upon his people because he's a just God. And he has to punish sin. And so he begins this prayer to the Lord. He goes on to write about the power and the glory of the Lord and how it fills the entire earth. Now I'm summarizing the middle part of this chapter. But he said his power has been shown in many ways and he, is, he alone is in control of all that's going on. Habakkuk goes on and as he reflects upon what has happened in the history before his time, he was able to bring down nations through various elements such as plagues and droughts and natural disasters. And when God used the forces of nature to carry out his judgment, these are the rods of chastisement that God, uh, of God that is stated in verse number 10. And then from verses 13 through 15, Habakkuk brings to mind how God's people can look to the past. And even we can look to the past. As we read these stories of old in the scriptures, these aren't just stories. These are actual events that happened as we can read them in the scriptures. And we can see how God 
has, has acted on, the, on their behalf to deliver them from the enemy. And from these past events, people should draw encouragement and be assured of God's loving concern and protection for his own people. And so this is true even with us today. When we read about what happened there in Jericho, we weren't there. But the walls of Jericho fell, and we know God was behind it. God caused that to happen. We weren't there when God's people were finally freed from Egyptian slavery long time ago. But we know God had control during that time. We were not there when Gideon and his 300 men were victorious over thousands of men, but we see God was in control, even when the odds were stacked up against Gideon and his men. And when we read and when we have faith that God has done that for his people in the past, let me tell you something, we can have faith that God is still in control today, no matter who is up in the White House no matter who is governing this state, no matter what laws are being passed, no matter what wars are going on, God is still in control and he still cares for you and he still cares for me and we have to just take it by faith that he knows what's going on and he's in control and we just need to live by faith. And let him lead the way. He's going to take care of us. He's going to take care of the church. That's his promise. After all this, I love what is, this is, to me is a highlight. This is the punchline. This is the verse 16. When I heard my body tremble, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might find rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to his people, he will bathe them with his troops. Habakkuk is putting his trust in God, all of his faith in God. He's in a panic before, now he just gives it over to God. Sometimes we could be in so much of a panic, what we need to do is what Habakkuk did. Give it to God. Let him deal with the wickedness. Just give it to God. And so, from that, we don't have to worry. We don't have to lose sight. But we see now, he writes this, he, it, this song that is written, he says this, Tanner actually led a song that referred to these very words from the understanding of Habakkuk after all that he had complained about and understanding that God, he was the God who's in control. I love this song that Habakkuk writes. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, even after all these things that might be terrible and dreaded, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. 
He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high heels to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Don't you love his attitude? Even though all this stuff may happen, the Lord God is my strength. That's who I'm going to go to. That's who I'm going to focus on. No matter what is happening, no matter who's in control, God is my strength. And he is the joy of my salvation. The joy of my salvation. I want to leave that song again at the close. I had already planned on it. Tanner kind of jumped the gun, if you will. That's all right. <laughs> but we're going to sing that song and with the understanding of this whole thing and who is in control. I like what's said as we begin to close this morning in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? A great attitude that we have. And this is what it means to live by faith. And Habakkuk is this great example of the attitude that we should have to live by faith. In closing, what I want to do is take a look at a couple passages in the New Testament and what we should do as we apply this to ourselves. Titus 3, verses 1 through 2 is one of these passages. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. So we, we are subject to the rulers and authorities, but also, this is a big one, at the beginning of verse number 2, it's a big one. Speak evil of no one. <laughs> it's hard to complain about what we don't agree with. Speak evil of no one. Be subject to the rulers. Be peaceable. Gentle. Showing all humility to all men. Sometimes we just need to hold our tongue. Sometimes we shouldn't type what we type on social media. Just pray to God about it. Don't worry. How about this in passing? 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and 17. Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors is to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Honor the king. And that could be very trying. But these are commandments that God requires of us. And I really believe that when we do understand truly that God is in control and we live by faith in that very thing, 
that it will become easier for us to not get so caught up and not worry because who really is in control? Who really is? Continue to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for the nation. Continue to pray for the rulers. In fact, the Lord tells us to pray for those who rule over us. Continue to pray, but have God focused at all times. I leave these things with you this morning, and I hope I've, I've edified you in some way to refocus our lives, even in the world that we surround ourselves in. We want to offer an invitation. Really, it's not our invitation. It's God's invitation to you. It's God's invitation to you to be his child. We talked about the character of God and how he loves his people. He loves you. You know how much he loves you? He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. You know why? Because he wants you into his kingdom. He wants you into his kingdom. That's how much he cares for you. But you have to do your part by obeying the gospel plan of salvation as we see in the scriptures. Understanding that Jesus died for you, was buried, and was resurrected on the third day. You have to believe that and then act upon that faith to repent of your life. That is to make a change in your life. And we talked about repentance a little bit this morning. God requires all men to repent. And then confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We find that in Acts chapter 8. And then be baptized for the remission of your sins. We find that happened in Acts chapter 2. And when that happened, the Lord tells us that the Lord added those people to his church. And the Lord will add you to his church if you obey that. Do that today if you haven't done that. The Lord wants you to do that. He wants you into his kingdom. He doesn't want you to perish. Well, maybe if you have done that, but, but you've messed up. I'm so thankful that we serve such a forgiving and merciful Father that he's willing to forgive us of the sins that we commit against him. And you could do that if you've messed up, if you've sinned against him, you could come before him asking forgiveness of your sins. And we'll pray with you and for you. Consider your life and take advantage of this very moment now. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m., and 5 p.m., and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.